We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. Today is March 26th. It's been about eight days since our last recording here, Mario. Uh, how have you been holding up? Oh, fine. Uh, had enough time, I suppose, to get really deep into the rookie class and uh, posted a top 100 rookie dynasty rankings thing. So that should settle that until the draft which uh, who knows how that's going to be done but it looks like they're going to do it so that's all set Uh, free agency is kind of reaching sort of a you know a slowing point so we're kind of we're kind of getting an idea of how things are going to look for for the next season and uh yeah it's just just a few details to settle before then i guess yeah exactly and you know with with no pro days like you said that your top 100 rookie rankings um yeah, that there probably won't be a ton of movement between uh, now and then, just based on, on that fact. Yeah. Um, so also this week, uh, you released a two-round mock draft. So you've 
clearly been diving deep. I'm working my way toward, towards getting on that level. I've been watching some defenders this week and watching uh, mostly linebackers, uh, and then I've shifted to edge uh, players earlier this afternoon. So working my way to- towards uh, getting caught up on that front, been doing some cleanup on college random uh, college football things. But you did a two-round mock, so that's going to be the focus of what we talk about today. We're also going to talk about some of those free agent odds and ends that hadn't been announced when we recorded uh, last week. So uh, let's start things off. Uh, round one, pick one. We got Joe Burrow going uh, to Cincinnati. That seems to be the case right now. Um, I was actually asked about th- uh, this, and you mentioned it in your article as well. I was asked about it uh, on the radio down in Orlando uh, the other day. You know, the possibility of would Miami really use that that first round ammunition that they have? They have three picks. Would they use that to move up to get Joe Burrow? And I personally. F- think that that would be an insane misstep i think the dolphins have actually done pretty well for themselves this offseason and, and getting things lined up for for the rebuild it, you know i think that there's maybe a light at the end of the tunnel here in two or three years uh for this dolphins team but um i think three first round picks for anyone less than a trevor lawrence next year uh would be a misuse of of that type of pick i think you can just use those picks to uh fill a hole if you want to jump up to number three and, and uh you know package two of your first round picks something like that you know you can you can talk me into that a little bit more but Joe Burrow doesn't he's not the face that sails a thousand ships to me what do you think yeah I wouldn't want to pay too much for him it's one of those things though I can't tell how serious those reports were and you can't believe much of what you hear as far as kind of off the record or sourced uh, pre-draft reports uh, even someone like Jake Glazer might miss a thing here or not miss a thing here or there, but it's just there's just so much noise and no one can actually know for sure just who's got what interest in propelling which lie or which truth. So uh, unless the Dolphins are very high on Joe Burrow, they don't really need to move up because there's pl- there's probably like a good amount of reason to believe that they are actually totally content with uh, one or both of Tua Tagovailoa or Justin Herbert at the fifth pick. We don't know if they feel strongly about these three players in any particular order. And like you said, with with three first round picks and two second round picks, um, it's it's at once a lot of ammo. But it's not ammo I would want to spend for an occasion like Joe Burrow. And as much as he was probably responsible for the single best quarterback season in college football history. I think that there was a lot of things going in his favor that kind of enabled an outcome that other quarterbacks probably could have seen to. Uh, for instance, I, I basically just think that Joe Burrow is Jared Goff who can run more, which could be very good. That could be a you know a top 10 NFL quarterback. But I think I agree with you that it needs to be a Trevor Lawrence type uh, or at least a Kyler Murray type. Like I, I think Murray's a better prospect than Burrow was. Oh, yeah. So uh, it, it would at least need to be like a Kyler Murray kind of pr- uh, prospect. And the next quarterback class would need to look weak for me to do that. And uh, there's not necessarily much after Lawrence next year, but that he is there uh, w- would make it worth you know save, saving assets for, for something else. And they can get some good players with these picks that make – maybe a supporting cast strong enough that they don't even need a great quarterback. Uh, but yeah, I think they'll take one of Herbert or Tua. I have no idea which I think there's valid cases to make for either. And uh, I don't really want to take a side in it. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think Herbert is better for fantasy projection just because with his huge frame, 
the 46840 and good athletic testing all around. Also, no hip injury concerns. Mm-hmm. He could at least run a good amount in the NFL. Like it's hard for me, even as somebody who isn't that high on Herbert, it's hard for me to look at his prospect profile and and have a reason to say you you would not be able to do the same things with him as you do with Josh Allen. Like you can maybe he's not a great passer, but maybe his running ability and maybe the the big frame that he has maybe the the hits that he can afford to take in the ground game, maybe they can be used to open up throwing windows to kind of minimize his limitations as a passer. So uh, with Tua, it's it's like he puts up, you know, he's he's the more convincing pure passer. Oh, yeah. Uh, And I think most people like him more as a prospect. Uh, I just can't, I just don't feel like I'm in a good position to know what the significance of the hip is. And uh, for whatever it's worth, I I feel like there is not not like a case you want to specifically make against him as a prospect, but I would be a little leery of of the uh, at a glance value of his production when he had the receivers that he did at Alabama. And for whatever limitations Herbert might have, his receivers at Oregon were kind of crap. Like it was Dylan Mitchell was the best one, followed by I don't know Johnny Jefferson or whatever had an okay <laughs> season this year, I guess, but mostly garbage. Um, so yeah, it's 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 fair I think to to be agnostic or at least i'm agnostic on these two in the order that they're in i don't i'm not really that high on them but it looks like they're gonna go high and if they're if they're gonna go as high as as the nfl media chatter indicates then they're both gonna go five uh, they'll go in some order at five or six at the latest uh, assuming there's no kind of trade-up activity right so when it comes to herbert and, and to uh, um you know i think that it's totally within reason to expect Herbert to go first just because he doesn't have that glaring red flag of of that injury concern and it goes beyond the hip with Tua as well I mean we had each of the last two years he had to have tightrope procedures uh, after he had suffering high ankle sprains there so uh, he definitely hasn't proven to be as durable as Herbert Herbert had like a I think like a broken collarbone at one point way way long time ago in his college career but like you said frame wise uh, nothing really to worry about uh, as far as far as the injury concerns go with Herbert I do think that Tua is leaps and bounds better than Herbert as just a pure prospect as a quarterback in general but again when you when you're hitching the amount of draft capital that you would need uh, having the health assurance uh, cleared off uh, is huge so I definitely get it when it when it comes to Herbert I, I just wish after four years of starting at Oregon and, and like you said the kind of crappy receivers especially for a program as as strong as Oregon's was especially his last couple of years once Cristobal took over I just wish that there there was a little bit more of Herbert really really taking over um, production wise but again uh, that there are things to like about him enough uh, to to see him go either five or six here and you know I'm I'm kind of like you agnostic onto onto who's who's going to take him between Miami or the Chargers but you do figure at the end of the day by the time that the Chargers turn in their pick at number six three quarterbacks uh, will be off the board um, let's move on now I think one of the prevailing narratives over over the course of draft season and you know dating back to probably the fall honestly or even last season uh, looking at this year's crop of receivers it's been Judy or Lamb but with the way that Henry Ruggs performed at the combine even though he didn't get the full workout but the, the insane 40 time in addition to people going back and looking at the tape a little bit closer and realizing that he's not only speed that there is a little bit more of a complete element to his game whereas uh, Judy and Lamb didn't really light up the combine they just sort of checked uh the boxes relative to to their expectations uh you make a case here that rugs has a very 
a plausible shot of being the first receiver off the board. And that could be, well, in this particular scenario, uh, you have Miami making a trade with Cleveland here uh, to go up and get rugs and add him to their receiving core. Yeah, and that was just kind of an experimental thought scenario kind of thing. It's not that I feel strongly or I don't even suspect any particular thing with these three guys and the order they'll go. To me, uh, it looks like they're going to go probably within a four or five pick range. Maybe they all go back to back to back. And I don't think it'll be predictable the reason why they go in the order that they do because there's not any easy way to look at the likely candidates to draft them and, and look at them like, Oh, well this team clearly could use CD lamb more than Jerry Judy. Therefore that's an obvious match. It's more like you could, you can imagine all the teams who are plausible buyers kind of just having, you know, arbitrary rankings or kind of liking all the above. Uh, it's hard to tell what will be the reason for, for whatever order they eventually go in. But yeah, with Miami having three first round picks, two second round picks, uh, and then they also have a third and a fourth. I, I projected them to trade one of their thirds while swapping like their fifth and fourth with uh, the Browns. And part of the reason that I, I made that Henry Ruggs trade projection is I feel like the Browns will want to trade down if they uh, can't get at one of Jedrick Wills or Andrew Thomas or uh, Tristan Wirfs and in the projection for the mock that I made I had all three of those gone in the first nine picks so I had Cleveland looking to trade back and I was like well I guess if anybody would want to trade up it would be Miami or somebody like that and and Ruggs would be one of the players they might trade up for Uh, the Dolphins still have a lot of work to do on their offensive line so if they were trading up from the 18th pick you could you could say Uh, They'd be more likely to go for Jacksonville at nine or uh, Arizona at eight to get one of those tackles. But I projected I think all those teams in the top nine could or sorry, those three teams that I projected those three tackles to. I think they really kind of need tackles, especially the rare kind of prospects that those three guys are. Uh, So, yeah, it's not that I think rugs will go first. It just seems totally plausible to me because I, I feel like it's I feel like those top three guys have about even odds. And uh, in any case, Ruggs would be a good pick for Miami, I think, because Devontae Parker and Preston Williams are are really impressive, but they're not exactly fast, and they probably can't play that much inside. So having Ruggs as a slot guy who can really make the safeties think twice before creeping up, uh, that could could kind of mitigate their pass-blocking issues a little bit. I have them taking a tackle uh, a little later in the round, I believe, yeah, Lucas Niang at the end of the first round. But if Miami can't make its offensive line better going into this year, then it would be nice to have someone as fast as Ruggs to make teams think twice about, you know, doing more aggressive blitz setups. But uh, yeah, with Ruggs there, that would give some speed to the Miami offense that really has none. Uh, Parker's probably their fastest guy, followed by like Gesicki. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's a, that's a slow offense, and uh, you don't want you don't want a defense playing like a red zone style defense against a quarterback is inaccurate and just turnover prone as Fitzpatrick, uh, especially with the pass rush that he's probably going to have to deal with. But yeah, I have Judy go to the jets after that. And I don't feel strongly about that one either. It's just one of those things like Adam Gase is a trips like slot receiver kind of enthusiast. Like that's the part of the field that he really likes to attack in the passing game. And Judy's such an obviously, innately talented route runner mm-hmm. uh, in a way that's really uncommon like his athletic traits are pretty common his production it's really good not truly rare uh, but when you watch the tape his route running ability 
it would stand out to anybody. Like someone who's watched football for you know just two minutes, looking at examples of various NFL wide receivers, they would look at Judy and notice like something's a little different about this guy. So I can imagine I can imagine uh, coaches falling in love with him on a technical basis, production basis, whatever. Uh, I can imagine Gase liking CD Lamb a lot too. I have really no idea, but uh, I feel like they're going to go receiver there. They could take Mekki Becton, the offensive tackle, but I think they consider their offensive line fixed after spending the same amount of money on George Fant as the Chargers did Bulaga. Uh, that 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 will not age well. But uh, you know, dumb teams that you know they're they're going to do dumb stuff. And not that I think they should take Becton over Judy or Lamb. They I think they should take Judy or Lamb, but. Uh, it's it's just disheartening to me as a Sam Darnold believer that it's like my awesome and totally good prediction that he will be really good might be undone by a George Fant signing instead of Bulaga. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I have CeeDee Lamb going next to the to the Raiders. So I, I think those three could go back to back to back. OK. And when it comes to Judy and that in that proverbial fit with the Jets, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, that route running uh, potentially uh, being the, the tiebreaker between him and Lamb, given what what Gase like likes to do with his receivers there. Um, would that signing of Brashad Perriman yesterday kind of change your mind about uh, Judy maybe landing in New York? And also just like, what are your thoughts on Judy in terms of like where he's going to play? Is he going to be an inside outside uh, type of receiver? Is he going to be strictly outside? Uh, what what do you think his best usage would look like uh, in the NFL? I think Judy could play anywhere. I mean, he's not exactly a classic deep threat and you might want to have a classic deep threat as your kind of outermost receiver but he's just such a good route runner you can imagine him getting open deep the same way stefan diggs gets open deep like stefan diggs was timed at something like four five three at the combine it doesn't look he's not an obvious burner it's not obvious why he should get open deep as much as he does sometimes but judy can probably do stuff like that it's Mm. it's just like you can imagine you can imagine him more so working underneath and in the intermediate because it's just easier to complete those passes and he's the kind of guy with with the kind of frequency with which he can get open you can imagine him being kind of a workhorse underneath and uh you know if if he's the third best receiver in an offense maybe then he 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 gets more of like a specialist role in some part of the field i'm not sure but the thing is with perriman you would expect him to be that downfield specialist and jameson crowder is going to be in the slot and i think he's going to get a lot of work there i think he's a pretty much prototypical player for what Gase likes to do. And I think Judy's kind of similar that way, just kind of like that dart quick uh, sort of game. And I feel like their three wide set of Jerry Judy, Jamison Crowder, Brashad Perriman would make a lot of sense. I don't know what they think of Quincy Anunwa, <clears throat> excuse me, at this point. Uh, they gave him a pretty sizable contract, but uh, he's been hurt so much. I don't know if they already regret that or, or what it is. It wouldn't be the most shocking thing, though, if the Jets do something stupid, uh, or at least I think this would be stupid. Uh, it would be, I think, foolish of them to look at that Paramin signing and then say, like, all right, we're out of the receiver market in the first round. Let's take C.J. Hen- uh, CJ Henderson or somebody like that so uh, Greg Williams's defense can look better. Um, that would be a bad idea, but I could imagine that, too. <laughs> Yeah, so Jets, uh, kind of a wild card here, but um, yeah, I definitely don't think that that they're addressing their receiver uh, concerns uh, 
are are fixed yet so uh maybe the re- the draft is deep enough to where they, they think about using it in round two but i mean if Ju- jerry Maybe. judy's standing uh staring them at the f- in the face at pick 11 uh that that should be something that they heavily uh consider let's get into uh the cd lamb pick uh going to vegas potentially here so um i think they're sort of like how Perriman doesn't fix the jets receiving core obviously nelson aguilar going to the raiders uh doesn't really change a ton uh there so that they're obviously going to be in the market for a receiver that they need uh, a true complement on the outside uh, to pair up with with uh, Darren Waller because Hunter Renfro, you know, limited to to just the slot work and Tyrell Williams pretty good, but I think that uh, they could really really uh, make this offense pretty interesting if if they add at receiver there and, and Lamb uh, would certainly do that. Yeah, with the Raiders, it's it looks like they should go receiver, to me at least, with this pick because uh, they have two first-rounders and they don't have that many obvious needs. Like, they're not a good team at a glance, but it's they don't have obvious needs in the sense that they've already tied up a lot of positions where they, where they maybe aren't good, uh, but they, they have so many investments that they're waiting on in those spots that they can't really double up and, and uh, you know, their defense might be crap, their cornerbacks might be bad or something but uh it's like when you have Trayvon Mullen there uh, I don't know if it makes a ton of sense to go for CJ Henderson at that spot they could uh Daryl Worley did I guess reasonably well as the other starter and then in the slot they have LaMarcus Joyner so it's like corner I don't see why they would obviously go that way and so in terms of where they aren't already invested substantially I think receiver is pretty clearly the the position where they have kind of an opening and then it also fits with the best player available which i absolutely consider cd lamb at that spot so he's actually my favorite receiver in the draft uh it's just that i can imagine him going third uh, between him rugs and judy uh rugs because of the speed just being crazy and judy because of his just very obviously unique route running ability that the the crazy fast start stop that is that Jerry Judy and his feet are capable of. Uh, it's it shows elite potential at a glance. Whereas with Lamb, you kind of get a lot of like. Uh, it, it, there are some standout plays that he makes. Don't get me wrong. He he makes a lot of really crazy plays actually. Uh, but he doesn't have a trait that you obviously spot for unique right away when you start watching him. And because he didn't test out of the world at the combine, he, he had good testing like Judy. He had good, but not great testing. Um, I think that CD lamb has legitimate like top 10 receiver potential. And I think he can be a workhorse wide receiver one type, the kind of guy who can take you between the twenties and the guy who can score once you get in the red zone uh, because of his, the ball skills that he showed at Oklahoma. And he has a better catch radius than the other two top receivers in this draft. Uh, but because he's just a low four or five guy and because he doesn't have any obviously just like insanely fast feet like Judy, I think he could lose in the aesthetic, uh, the, the eyeball test. And, uh, you know, when, and it's, it's a fair tiebreaker. I mean, these are three really good prospects and, you know, you got to break the tie somehow. Uh, but I, I like CeeDee Lamb and what he brings. I think he looks a lot like a faster, more innately talented Brandon Lloyd. And while that doesn't that doesn't have any obviously unique traits with it, 
I think it's a proven template that works. And I, th- I think that C.D. Lamb just can hurt a defense a lot of ways, even if there isn't one single way that he stands out from everyone else. Yeah, I love C.D. Lamb after the catch. He's And he always finds a way to get open. He, he seems to, you know, for his size, he, he wins a contested uh, yeah. catches pretty well, too. So, yeah, I think you, I think you gave an excellent He's breakdown. He's dangerous everywhere, right pretty much. Like, he maybe not as good, like, at the, at the line of scrimmage as Judy. Maybe he's not as dangerous on a short catch. But I just really like that Lamb can hurt teams on the sideline down the field uh, in traffic like you said like he, he he's got a really good catch radius that he presents in a lot of coordination and innate skill to go with it i think yeah so uh, this uh this receiver class as advertised really really impressive especially um at the top there but there's a lot of depth to it as well as we'll get to a little bit later on uh here in the show um Let's move on to the Raiders' next pick. That's the next one that has uh, fantasy relevance for us. Uh, the Raiders uh, using that pick from the, from the Khalil Mack trade and going ahead and potentially getting their quarterback of the future here, Jordan Love, out of Utah State. Yeah, so this is a complicated situation, and maybe it's a misread on my part to, to think that the Raiders would take Love in the first round. But uh, with that Marcus Mariota, I should say, even with that Marcus Mariota contract and the kind of uh, – co-starter sort of uh situation that it implies like his his incentives could go up to something like 20 million a year if he plays enough and so it's pretty clearly like they've they've got a quick hook for Derek Carr this year uh assuming Derek Carr is still there anyway uh for all I know they could trade him or something and then take love and Mariota could be their first starter who really knows but Jordan Love is not that strong of a quarterback prospect in my opinion like he's he's interesting He's got some tools, definitely, and he's he's got enough size. He's he's very athletic for for how big he is. Uh, but there was some pretty concerning passing details in, in his in his stats at Utah State. So I wouldn't really want to be the person buying him here. But if the Raiders have lost some substantial amount of faith in Derek Carr, and if they are not sold on Mariota, so it's one of those things like when are you going to take a quarterback then, if not now, and. I don't know. I, I Maybe this isn't quite it. Maybe they would take Jalen Hurts ahead of Jordan Love. That would not surprise me one bit if Jalen Hurts went, in, went ahead of Jordan Love. Uh, but I have to defer somewhat to plugged-in NFL media. And someone like Daniel Jeremiah putting – I think anyway he's been putting Jordan Love in the first round. I don't want to misquote his uh, mock drafts. But uh, I feel like I've seen a ton of projections of Jordan Love going in the first round from people who are closer to these teams than me. So – uh, as much as I wouldn't want to make that choice, it, it's one of those things like I have to believe these people know something that I don't and that uh, something is going to propel Jordan Love to those top 40 picks. And as long as you're a quarterback in that range, then you kind of tr- you kind of tend to float toward the top. Like there, there tends to be a last second inflation, even if people don't anticipate it. So uh, Jordan Love, if he's got a shot at the first round, then he's probably going in the first round. And the Raiders seem like as good of a team, as good of a candidate to take him as any, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff that you can, uh, you know, dream on when it when it comes to Jordan Love. And like if you watch like the actual broadcast of the combine, obviously uh, Burrow and Tua weren't throwing so the stage was kind of set for Herbert and Love to you know kind of make big big uh waves big names for themselves and you know it was almost like gross hearing like people's uh like reactions watching Jordan Love they're like oh my god like there it is like moaning and groaning watching like how 
you know how hard he throws and stuff like that so they, they, they love the arm like they just really do and it uh so that might be enough maybe maybe mayock falls into that camp as a guy that uh really just uh is all about the big arm and you know th- what a contrast that would be to uh to Derek carr who it's true yeah they, i mean he's he's got a lot more tools than, than Derek carr Derek carr's fast but he just he's afraid to run so it's love doesn't have him there but love does definitely have that that throwing toolsiness that that's much higher than than Derek Carr. And to be fair, as much as I think Love's production is really concerning, especially last year, he had a really bad team around him he did. at Utah State. So new system it, too. Yeah, it might not be his fault, and maybe you know, I, I on some level I have to defer to the people who really are quarterback experts. Like I am not a quarterback expert. I, I feel like there's some calls to make that are easy. Like if someone like Lamar Jackson seems like an easy call to me, but then most calls don't seem easy to me. And Jordan Love is one of those guys. Yeah, very very complicated profile because he, he I mean he really crushed it in 2018, but but the yeah. uh, the interceptions this past year were. Um, very very disconcerting. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. I think at the bottom line, he he go he will go in this draft as more of a project. Like I, I don't think that we're going to see him uh, starting until twenty twenty one personally. But yeah, and the Raiders would work for that with yeah. having Carr and Mariota. Exactly. Um, so let's move on. Next receiver off the board, a guy who also dazzled at the combine, uh, Denzel Mims, potentially landing in Philly at pick twenty one. Yeah, so Mims is a player I have a lot of trouble figuring out, and I I guess I could start by saying, like, I don't believe in a Baylor wide receiver curse or anything like that. Like, I, I know some people have looked at Baylor and been like, oh, I don't know, though. I mean, it's like Antoine Goodley and Tevin Reese and uh, whatever, uh, Corey Coleman and Terrence Williams and uh Corey Cole yeah Corey Coleman it was like if that guy didn't get hurt I still I still a am a truther I have not lost faith about Corey Coleman good uh, but b if he had not gotten hurt so much uh we might have a very different narrative on him Terrence Williams sucked yeah that's true uh but like Josh Gordon was at Baylor before he transferred to Utah and didn't play there so uh the I don't believe in like a I don't believe that wide receivers from Baylor are, are like fabricated by the system or and it's anything. a totally different system that mims played in versus the bryles so yeah that's true um the one thing i will say about mims is he, he's com- he's complicated to me and he was more complicating to me before the combine before he had his insane athletic testing the 43940 uh the 6.66 second three cone drill the vertical the broad jump all that made me much higher on him because it, it just kind of removed some some areas of doubt for me but based on his production there's not an obvious abundance of skill and part of that might be because of just bad Baylor quarterbacks part of part of it might be other things that weren't in his control I really don't know but uh, as much as he broke out in his second year at Baylor he's a little bit overaged for his class so it wasn't quite what people would normally get for uh, a second year breakout it was kind of like a second two and a half third year breakout kind of thing um, which can still work, you know, especially when you're as toolsy as he is. When you have that kind of athleticism, you can afford to not be as skilled as the next guy. And the next guy, I think, would be Justin Jefferson, who most people project to the to the Eagles at this pick. But I kind of went with Mims, uh, not so much trying to like differentiate this mock, but because if they do take Justin Jefferson, I think that would be a little bit of a sort of vision mistake on their part because going forward that Philadelphia offense is going to be a two tight end offense the base uh, like at least three-fourths of the time I think 
will be Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz out there. And that has its pluses. Uh, you know, th- those guys are just really good and they can they can make your offense more versatile from a single look. It's not as obvious whether they're going to run or a throw. But the thing is, if they do throw and, and I guess even when they don't, the safeties are going to creep up on you if you don't have some speed to make them think otherwise about it. And Justin Jefferson's really good uh, as a prospect, but his four four three forty. His his good vertical and broad jump, they still lose easily to Mims and his four three nine and his his better jumps, his better quickness. Uh, just as players at in college, uh, it's like Justin Jefferson was more of a slot guy and Mims was more of a downfield specialist. And that's what the wide receiver in the Philadelphia offense needs to be if you're going to have two tight ends every play. Because right. if you if you don't have that downfield threat, then the safeties are just going to kind of like double your uh, <clears throat> whatever kind of both at the same time they can double your your tight ends and receivers uh with impunity and you you can't have an offense where like zach Ertz is your best downfield threat it's just it's just asking for some trouble um so i think having somebody like mims to make the safety have to respect his speed makes sense from just a team fit perspective but yeah justin jefferson i think we have reason to believe he is more skilled as a receiver because he's not as toolsy as mims and yet his production stood out more obviously at LSU uh Mims got outplayed also by Jalen Hurd two years ago so Mims broke out in his second year kind of got pushed aside by Hurd in his third year and there's a possibility that both Hurd and Mims are quite good and so it's like in that case Mims it's not his fault that he got pushed aside if the the player that pushed him aside was simply very good but if Hurd is not good then that would kind of complicate the fo- the fortunes i think of mims because uh if if, if her is a bust then it's hard to see why mims kind of got marginalized by him but again for the for the eagles i feel like they need to look for speed with this pick i think jalen rager would make more sense for the eagles than justin jefferson but uh seems like it's gonna i don't know mo- more people including people and i feel like i can say this about jeremiah this time i am pretty sure he's been projecting jeff jefferson to the eagles for basically yeah that's been a common season. thread in, in pretty much yeah. every big mock i feel like yeah so uh i don't feel strongly about it I, I i rank justin jefferson higher in my dynasty rankings just because it's he has youth on his side uh he, he's very skilled already it's just I don't know if it would be the right fit for the Eagles. Okay, fair. And, you know, I, I love that, you know, that you're bringing the, the team context and, and the lack of speed, especially on the outside that the Eagles have as it stands right now. I mean, Jeffrey, not that kind of player. And like you said, you know, they are going to be using two tight ends out there and I uh, can't count on Deshaun Jackson forever. So would like to get an infusion of speed there on the outside. Um, let's move on down here a little bit further. We have a conversion, Mario. We have you projecting Jalen Hurts in the first round now. Yeah, so Wild. I – yeah, I mean back when I watched him at Alabama, I thought, you know, this is a great college quarterback and that's it because he had some pretty concerning accuracy uh, deficiencies and that that stayed a little bit the case with Oklahoma too. But in a league where Josh Allen goes seventh overall or whatever and where Daniel Jones goes fifth – I can't really marginalize Jalen Hurts on the grounds of his accuracy limitations anymore. Like it's it's still something that kind of concerns me, but I it's either the NFL doesn't care as much or, anymore or something has changed about the NFL that I can't quite figure out yet. Uh, it's just it's just I have enough reason to believe that it is happening that I need to make some kind of adjustment in response and as much as I wouldn't have projected Hurts to to so much as like be a starting quarterback candidate a few years ago 
it's like I said the same about Josh Allen and Daniel Jones. They both got drafted really high. Uh, they both have been useful in fantasy uh, very, you know, importantly. And that could very much be the case with Jalen Hurts too because at the very least we know he can run at a standout level. And if teams are okay with these substandard college passers like Josh Allen and Daniel Jones, then I don't know why they would be especially harsh toward Jalen Hurts. And so I part of the other thing that precipitated this this projection of uh, the Colts trading up uh, three spots with the 49ers just to get ahead of uh, I don't know who it would be maybe the 49ers themselves, maybe the Lions. But I had the Colts trade up three spots trading a fourth round pick to get to the 31st spot, taking Jalen Hurts because they're not going to be in position or at least if assuming nothing goes terribly wrong, they won't likely be in position to, to be in the uh, Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. I think you're going to have to put on a really convincing tank effort to do that. And I, I kind of think that Phillip rivers will keep them at a sort of seven and nine, eight and eight sort of baseline. And if they don't take a quarterback now, it's not obvious when they'll get another obvious chance to do it so i think that going up four spots here sorry three spots here taking jalen hurts and letting him learn behind rivers for a year might be their best option and uh it's also kind of like if jordan love is going in the first i don't know why jalen hurts would be ruled out either it's like he's he put up basically the same numbers at oklahoma as baker mayfield and kyler murray i don't think he's as good of a prospect as either one i don't think it's especially close but and in a league where Daniel Jones is, you know, putting up fantasy points, it just seems reasonable to think that Hertz could do that too. Yeah, Jalen Hertz has. I mean, he he tested well um, at the combine. I mean, we're talking like sub four six uh, speed, and you know, I, I think that uh, Lincoln Riley definitely got uh, the most out of him, and, and probably you know helped improve Jalen Hertz's. Uh, game overall and probably more so than than what he got at Alabama Uh, not to like trash Alabama's quarterback development or anything but I I think that you can say right now that Oklahoma is churning out you know pro pro quarterbacks uh, left and right in a way that Alabama isn't necessarily so um, you know this it couldn't have been a better landing spot for Hertz when he transferred and and I think that um, he's come a long way since you know like you said uh, when he was uh, a freshman back in 2016 and just basically having to out athlete everyone at the quarterback position it looks a lot uh, different now so who's to say that he's not a first rounder uh, and then let's round it out for the first round uh, we got a running back finally going off the board who you got yeah i projected jonathan taylor at the 32nd pick with the chiefs and that's not something that i feel strongly about exactly it's just i think that taylor is pretty clearly the the most talented pure runner since adrian peterson that's not to say he's the best running back prospect since then because i would i'd probably rank ezekiel elliott or somebody like that higher than him mostly for passing mostly with respect to the passing game Mm -hmm. uh not to rule out taylor becoming good in that respect either but it's just you know it's a question it's not for sure like it was with elliott coming out and uh the thing that is for sure with thomas uh with with taylor though is is he's insanely talented as a runner and it's obvious like i know a lot of people are trying to find reasons to overthink it i maybe they're just bored Uh, they need to be they need something to do because if you look at taylor and these other running backs and think anybody but him is even close or sorry if you think that any of the others are even close to him as a runner uh, it's it's just it's just an error in logic like there's there's no precedent to believe that so um if 
Andy Reid can take someone like Spencer Ware and make him a productive pass catcher, which he did. If you go look at Spencer Ware's pass catching with Kansas City, it's quite literally identical on a per-target basis to Kareem Hunt uh, and Damian Williams, a, a little less resembling of his, but it's it's basically the same. So Taylor, is, it's like there's nothing in his athletic traits that explains why he would be a poor pass catcher. I think it's all explained by the lack of reps. And if he's taken from a 30 carry a game sort of job at Wisconsin and put into one in the NFL where he's getting 10 or 12 carries a game behind Damian Williams, it's like he's going to have all these reps, just uh, like these uh, these surplus reps that used to go to, you know, carries that he can now spend in passing down functions. And I think it's reasonable to say he will get better at those things with those reps. So Damian Williams is a great fit for the chiefs offense. And I think he would remain the starter for however many games he was healthy to do it. But a, he's had a lot of durability troubles and B uh, he's not a long-term thing. Like they're, they're not committed to him beyond this year. So uh, the chiefs don't have a lot of obvious needs. Their offensive line looks pretty good. Uh, Obviously, the Sammy Watkins thing is is up to some uncertainty, but uh, they have Michael Hardman and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey at the very worst. And as much as they could maybe justify a pick here on a receiver, especially if they cut Sammy Watkins, I think it's more. I think it's just as likely that they find this this a good opportunity to get a running back question solved for the next five years. And as much as people like to harp on, you know, it's it's inefficient to invest in running backs in the first round, I'd say it's more so inefficient to spend money on running backs. I think it actually makes a ton of sense to take a 30-second pick and just kind of run that player into the ground and not give them a second contract. I think you'll find it actually that that's maybe one of the most efficient things you can do with with running backs going forward because it's 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 a late first-round pick. It's not like you're it's not like you're taking this running back at the expense of taking a quarterback. And of course, in the Chiefs case, it wouldn't even matter if they were. So I think that if if Taylor goes in the first round, Kansas City makes as much sense as any place aside from Tampa Bay. But I feel like Tampa Bay would need to trade back if they were going to take Taylor. Yeah, in the first. 14, 14 would be crazy for Tampa Bay. So I, I think that, yeah, we're going to we're going to be waiting a while for the first running back to go off the board. Like you said, uh, late first seems like a, a reasonable projection there. And yeah, I'm interested to see uh, because I mean, I guess like my knee jerk reaction is that I, I thought that Kansas City and Andy Reid would be more in, inclined in a more proven pass catching running back. But I think you laid out a pretty good case that, you know, that can be developed with time uh, when it comes to Taylor, because there are just so few reps to really point to uh, during his time at Wisconsin. But the, the running talent is, like you said, very obvious. Uh, let's move on to the second round here. Uh, before we get to uh, the skill guys, just want to Note that you have Isaiah Wilson going at the top of round two. I, I don't see him, or I haven't seen him going at that high recently in mocks. But like, I'm on board with that. I think that he. Oh, I'm glad um, you are. <laughs> he he is a freak. I mean, like, I remember when he committed to Georgia, and I, I think I was recording a, a podcast. I mean, this is a couple of years ago now, and my phone just like blew up from everyone just f- flipping out that Georgia had landed the, this guy. I mean, he's. Um, absolute mountain six six three fifty with with some movement. Um, so I think like even though he it never like 
became the like the true like starting left tackle at Georgia because obviously Andrew Thomas was that guy. I think Wilson could develop into you know one of the best tackles uh, in this class. This is going to go down as one of like the best offensive line classes in recent memory, and Wilson I think will be part of that. Um, let's move on to San Francisco. So obviously the trade partner with Indianapolis in this uh, experiment here. So pick thirty four. They picked Debo Samuel uh, last year around this around this stage of the draft on day two. Uh, maybe double dipping here, going for a player with a very similar skill set in LaVisca Chenault. Yeah, with Debo and Chenault, it's pretty obvious the way you use them. It's just in Shanahan's offense specifically, what he does is he uses a lot of motion and a lot of you know the zone runs to the outside, the threat of George Kittle. Uh, the, the motion to tangle up the defense generally, and then you isolate somebody against a vulnerable defender and you create an opening. And, and in Debo's case, it, it also featured a lot of jet sweeps, uh, handoff type things. But the deal is they just create a quick opening and then they get the ball to this guy who it's it's kind of a manufactured touch almost like he's not re- getting open in the way that you usually mean it when, when someone gets open. It's like it's more like they create an opening and this guy ends up there. And you throw him the ball and then he's big and good at breaking tackles and corners are, you know, 20, 30 pounds lighter than him. And it's hard for the corners to tackle him. So he gets a lot of yardage uh, for, for an opening that wasn't that you know, for, for a low difficulty throw, a throw a quarterback like Garoppolo can even hit, you know, almost every time. So with Garoppolo being limited, it makes sense to keep hammering the yards after the catch threat. And the one thing I can't really figure out is just what Shanahan thinks of his current receivers because they put a second round restricted free agent tag on Kendrick Bourne, who's the main slot guy last year. But they were going to make Trent Taylor the main slot guy coming out of training camp before he broke his foot. So I don't know if it's and Jalen Hurd was also getting pretty high reviews before he got hurt. So I can't tell if Shanahan is sold on Taylor or and Hurd or if he's agnostic on one or both. Or if he is sold on both, but just unsure of their health. And so to whatever extent he might be unsure of their health, maybe he's not concerned enough to spend a second round pick when he's already got a second round valuation on Bourne and Debo Samuel drafted last year in the second round. Maybe they don't go receiver here. But if they do, then Chenault, I think, pretty obviously fits their offense. Uh, yeah, I like that call of uh, the fit there. Uh, let's move on to the next pick. We got Detroit. Uh, bolstering their receiver position yeah so people are going to think that i hate justin jefferson or something because i I projected mims and chenault going ahead of him Uh, but justin jefferson i projected at 35 to detroit just because marvin jones is in the last year of his contract Uh, danny amandola is back but he's just a slot guy and after those two and kenny galladay they don't really have anything at receiver so there's a non-zero chance they just kind of trade or cut Marvin Jones before the season starts. And I think they therefore will, I think they're as good of a candidate as most teams to go receiver, excuse me, in the first two rounds. If they do, then Jefferson makes a ton of sense because he could be their long-term slot guy after Amendola. They could be, he could be their long-term starter opposite Kenny Galladay outside. He could do both things. And it's it's a case where, uh, you know, as, mu- as much as I have Jefferson going later than Mims and Chenault, it's entirely due to team fit that I have it reasoned that way. Because with Mims, it's the downfield speed that the Eagles need so badly. With Chenault, it's just kind of the way it fits the, the Shanahan yards after the catch setup offense. With Detroit and with a quarterback like Stafford, uh, it's like this is a guy who can actually 
throw the ball from from pretty much any look and get make any kind of NFL throw. And in that case, it makes more sense to have a innately skilled receiver like Jefferson, or at least like I think Jefferson is, uh, because it's not necessarily opening up the offense that's his function. It's not necessarily yards after the catch that's his function. It's it's getting open and making presenting a viable target uh, from a variety of looks. And I think Jefferson, the way he produced at LSU, uh, the way he tested at the combine, I think there's a lot of reason to believe that even if he's not like a wide receiver one type, he could be another Marvin Jones type who puts up wide receiver one type numbers at times. And, uh, you know, if he, especially if has better durability luck, you could imagine him just kind of being, uh, you know, the the Terry Glenn to some Terrell Owens or something like that. Like a a really feared receiver who doesn't end up in the top 10 rankings ever, but is just always valuable. Yeah. That's uh, a, that's a lot of fun names uh, dropping there. And, And again, like, when it comes to Marvin Jones, I feel like he's one of the more like unsung, like consistent yeah. fantasy uh, contributors over you know the better part of the last like six seven years at this point. Um, so yeah, I could, I could definitely see Detroit going ahead and, and continuing to add around Stafford, you know, because you know that they, they are tied to Stafford. Uh, they want to give him as many weapons as they can. Um, let's move on to uh, the guy who arguably just kind of won the combine uh, and that's chase claypool uh landing at 36 to the giants yeah so with the giants they could theoretically use some help at receiver because of sterling shepherd and his concussion concerns and then also at tight end because evan ingram and his foot issue and there, i can't remember who was reporting it but some some substantial nfl media person i want to say a month ago said something about how the Giants are concerned that he'll never be healthy, Evan Ingram. So I feel like Claypool can be justified by either of both of those angles because I think he could play a wide receiver just fine. It's not like I, I don't believe he needs to move to tight end. Uh, running a four four two and jumping the way he did will make you feel better about a wide receiver projection. Yeah. But Evan Ingram tested very similarly coming out of Mississippi. Uh, he was a little smaller. Uh, I think he ran a four four two though, just the same as Claypool did. And... Uh, they obviously thought of him as a tight end. They committed to that vision. They could do that with Claypool too, for all I know. Like if, if, if the giants, not that I have any reason to think they'll do this, but if they trade Evan Ingram for like a third or a fourth round pick, then Claypool would be the most obvious plug in replacement for that particular kind of role, the particular kind of way that they've used Ingram as like a pass catching specialist. So, Mm -hmm. uh, I think Claypool makes a lot of sense for a bunch of teams In my previous first round mock, I projected to the, to the Packers, uh, this, this change, uh, it wasn't in response to the Funches thing, but I would pretty much rule it out because of the Funches signing. So uh, with with that looking less likely to me, I would I would figure that Claypool's most likely landing spot is something like Detroit or the Giants. And maybe I'm too high on him. Maybe maybe I shouldn't rank him as high as I do. But I think Claypool's production is it, it's not great at Notre Dame, but I think it's fine. And the thing is, when you're this athletic I, I really think that if you put him on an if you take him from a college team where he's playing with sub NFL players uh, and especially at Notre Dame, it's like they didn't suffer for lack of competition. So uh, it would have been one thing if, if he had been on a low level of competition team and still not stood out. But he came pretty close to standing out production wise 
And with these kinds of tools, I'm willing to bet that he's just going to look better on a decent NFL team. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. I, I'm in on Claypool. Claypool was a guy that was interesting, you know, coming into the into the pre-draft process. And then uh, the way the combine went, you know, it's like he he's not slipping past uh, pick 40, in my opinion, no, basically no matter what. And I want to say real quick, like I know Miles Boykin will be hoisted as an example of why we should doubt Chase Claypool. But uh, for, for as much as it's a reasonable concern – Boykin's production was substantially worse because he basically did nothing at Notre Dame for three years and then had one pretty decent fourth year. Claypool had a better fourth year than than uh, Boykin did, and his first three years were substantially better. So I think he's a clearly better prospect. Yes, good to good to lay that out there. Um, let's keep it moving here. So we got uh, next up at pick thirty nine, uh, Dolphins addressing uh, the running back position once again. Yeah, so they signed Jordan Howard. They still have Laird. They still have Gaskin. But I don't think those two are serious. Uh, you know, they're not guys who you want in your projected snap count in a game. You want those guys to be healthy scratches, if at all possible, or, or special teamers, something like that. So Jordan Howard can take up maybe up to like 30 snaps in a game. And even that's probably pushing it a little bit. So they have a lot of snaps to still account for in the backfield. And between that and the probability that they specifically get someone who can do passing down functions, I thought Clyde Edwards Hilaire would make a lot of sense for the Dolphins at the 39th pick. But it's not something I feel strongly about. Like it could be any of him, DeAndre Swift or J.K. Dobbins. I think any of the three is a high probability target for the Dolphins with the specific pick. I just thought that Hilaire, uh, Edwards Hilaire, um, I, I thought his combine was a really good one. And I know he didn't have as fast of a 40, like DeAndre Swift ran the 448. Uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire only had a 46, but the 40 inch vertical, the really strong broad jump, that's more interesting to me because I never thought of these guys as like home run hitters. Like no one, I wasn't looking for any of these guys to be Jamal Charles or something. When you watch Clyde Edwards Hilaire, he, he kills the defense by just dicing them up underneath, uh, staying low when contact arrives, bouncing off for a little bit here and there. It was never supposed to be a thing where he runs away from defenses. Like it would have been concerning for Jonathan Taylor if he had a bad 40 because he is supposed to run away from defenses. Edwards Hilaire doesn't really need that. And I think that the explosiveness that he demonstrated shows that his method of running back will definitely work in the NFL. Uh, and he's been a little more durable than DeAndre Swift and even J.K. Dobbins, although he didn't take on nearly the workload that uh especially not Dobbins and also smaller workload uh in terms of four years or three years than than Swift did but that one year last year he took quite a big workload and he was just dynamite the whole time looks great on film uh the four six gets a, a minus mark from a lot of people but it, I just don't care I think he had a great combine and I, th- I think he's gonna go in the top 50 okay love that and you know he's He's got a really, you know, kind of complete skill set. I think he can be, you know, even though, you know, you see 57207, you don't immediately think that he can be that that three down back. He can do it all really. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a believer of his. I tweeted out a, a gif uh, of him against Texas earlier this week that uh he put this guy in the spin cycle and uh I don't know what that guy's doing now, but I, I hope he's not playing football anymore. That was that Yeah, was it looks else. uh it looked like a good spin move, but then it also looked like the field 
got like tugged to the right and like the tackler went with it or something. It's like the <laughs> yeah. rub got pulled out from him also in addition to a spin move. Um, so yeah, Edwards Lair reminds me quite a bit of Brian Westbrook. I think that's, that's high praise. I, I love Brian Westbrook. So yeah. uh, if he, if he can, you know, come 90% of the way to Brian Westbrook's career, that that's a hell of a career for him. All right. So let's move on. We're outside the top 40 now. Uh, pick 41 Cleveland. What are they doing there? So I gave them Jalen Rager. Part of that being just kind of I, so I projected for the for the Browns to trade back from that tenth pick to the eighteenth pick. Had them taking Austin Jackson, who's an offensive tackle. I think they still need a tackle. Maybe they don't. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but if they take a tackle in the first round, then it's kind of like at that point. I'm not sure what left they have to target. I guess you could say linebacker with Joe Schobert gone. Christian Kirksey is also gone. Uh, but Jalen Rager. I just am very high on and maybe I'm too high on him, uh, but I, I have trouble having him fall further than this because I, I still think he's really good. And the thing with Cleveland is they look like they're either going to go to kind of like a two tight end offense a lot of the time with Njoku and Hooper, or they're going to basically get rid of Njoku and go to kind of like a three wide sort of offense. But in that case, Jarvis Landry has to pretty much play the slot and in that part of the field, he's running for the same routes that Austin Hooper is, who they just signed and paid a lot of money. I think Jarvis Landry's contract is an awful contract, and he's going to be on the shelf until August. So I wouldn't be shocked if he's cut or traded or something like that. And even if they don't do any of that, I could I think it would be irresponsible for them to assume he can contribute uh, because he had, he had a, a labrum tear in his hip, I think, surgically repaired. And, and it's August that he's out till uh, that's not even to you know get a a specific return date or b know when he'll be up to speed from that initial return date. Like it's possible he'll kind of just be screwed up until October or something. So I thought it made sense to go for Rager there. I, I just think he's an awesome prospect. I, I I know that he disappointed with his forty time at the combine, but uh, if if you look at those tapes, Fusuvu was posting, it looked kind of damning that they gave him that time like it looked closer to four four flat or a four four three or something <laughs> i can't go that far i don't know <laughs> I, I mean it looks he, here's the thing he ran a sl- he was timed slower in the 40 than justin jefferson and we know he is faster than justin jefferson like you turn on the, the jalen rager tape at tcu he's he's the kind of fast that you just don't see that much and i know he's 11 pounds heavier at 206 than he was listed at at tcu and maybe the weight gain uh, it lowered the speed accordingly. But if it did, I don't know why he would post the insane vertical and broad right. jumps. Yeah, still. it doesn't line up with like the 99th percentile for this year's class in the jumps. Like, it, you know, you would expect, you know, at the very least, very low four fours to, to match up with, with that kind of like, you know, burst from the from the lower body there. Yeah, so uh, the Jarvis Landry contract and also the Odo Beckham contract, I mean, there's no cap penalty if they get rid of him. I wouldn't if I was them, but I guess I can't rule out the chance that they would either, you know, anytime, uh, anytime coming up or next year. It's like they can get rid of him at any point and not take any cap hit. So maybe after this year, they they trade Beckham for a first or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but between Landry and Beckham's contracts, I feel like something is a little amiss with their wide receiver situation. And I feel like Rager is a good enough prospect to just take him for that reason alone. Okay. I like that call. Um, let's move on. Uh, we got, is this the first tight end off the board here? Yeah. Okay. So Indianapolis going after Albert O. Yeah. So I, 
Okwebunum, I think they try to say it as. I don't know. Uh, but he's the guy from Missouri who surprised everybody by running the 4-4-9-40, which it's, he wasn't that high on my board going into it. He was more of like a third, fourth round kind of prospect in my mind going into the combine. But we know he's good in the red zone. Like that's That was one thing that even his skeptics would have given him. He's like, yeah, he's pretty dangerous in the jump ball in the end zone. Like it's it's really tough to, to, to block out the catch radius that he presents. So now if you tell me he's running a 4-4-9 in addition to that, that just that opens up a whole bunch of ways that I can imagine using him now, specifically between the 20s, which before you might have thought like, yeah, he's just another Bubba Franks or something. Like he's just going to catch play action uh, at the goal line for eight touchdowns a year and 300 yards or something. But uh, as much as people were surprised by his 4-4-9, I tend to look at things like that as it's not that he has – track speed that doesn't factor into the real play i i don't consider him a workout warrior in other words for the fact i tend to chalk it up to optical illusion like i think it's just it's it's uh it takes a lot of hubris i think to just look at tape and assume you know for sure how fast a guy specifically is because people have different stride lengths they they generate their strides in different ways uh, they sometimes don't cut loose with their full speed for, for anecdotal reasons, be it like the scheme or like the route that they have on a given play or how they're supposed to pace their routes relative to the drop back. Like we just don't know whether Okwebunu was really told to cut loose. And now we know when he does, he can run a four, four, nine, even though he's one of the biggest tight ends in the draft. So I don't know. I, I think that he could be another Mark Andrews kind of factor with that kind of speed and that kind of catch radius. And it's not like he ever struggled as a pass catcher at Missouri. If anything, they're just like they, you look at his the criticism of him in, in like the NFL.com profile and it says, you know, he doesn't try to block hard enough. They think he's soft. That's exactly what they said about Mark Andrews. And uh, he wasn't as productive as Mark Andrews. But the thing is, like, I don't know what Mark Andrews would have done in the Missouri offense. Like he, he wouldn't have been playing the slot receiver position that he did at Oklahoma. He would have had to play in line and uh, maybe he would have looked worse for it. I don't know. Um, but with the Colts, I just thought, you know, Jack Doyle's good. They like Moali Cox as a blocking specialist. But Okwebunu would be a way for them to just hurt the middle of the field in a particular way that they can't right now. And they also don't have a ton of obvious needs otherwise, or at least I don't think. It's like their offensive line set. Uh, they just got DeForest Buckner. Their defensive line is fine. And, um, you know, Darius Leonard at linebacker. They got a couple corners that they they do. They're like they're, – they're kind of like Buffalo zone defense with. So I don't expect them to really pay up a lot in the secondary as a general rule. And it's like I don't, I don't know, you know, if they got quarterback and Jalen Hurts like I project before. I don't know why they wouldn't be able to justify a pick for a tight end there. And maybe it's not a Quibonum. Maybe it's Cole Kmet from Notre Dame. Uh, I also like Dalton Keene a lot from Virginia Tech, but I can't tell if people are going to be as high as, on him as I am. But I think tight end would make sense, and specifically an athletic one. Not specifically to replace Eric Ebron, but just because it it looks like a, a spot where they could use the help and they don't seem to have a lot of needs otherwise. Okay, let's move on over. We got a couple running backs in two of the next three picks. We got Tampa Bay going after DeAndre Swift, and then at pick 47, Atlanta, despite just getting uh, Todd Gurley, maybe dipping uh, into the running back well and going after J.K. Dobbins. 
Right. So Clyde Edwards Hilaire, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, they're all in the same tier for me. I have no strong opinion about which should go before the others. So uh, I had DeAndre Swift go 45th to Tampa, but he could go to that Miami pick just as easily. Clyde Edwards Hilaire could just as easily go to Tampa at the 45th. Or Dobbins could go before all of them, uh, you know, go to Miami, go to Tampa Bay, whatever. Uh, But Atlanta, their deal is uh, Todd Gurley's only got a one-year contract. I don't know if that is part of their calculus at all. It doesn't need to be. Uh, You don't need to take a running back just because Todd Gurley's on a one-year deal. But it would be a way to rationalize taking one. And J.K. Dobbins is good enough to do it. You know, it's like it's not as if they're reaching or something. They're getting, at worst, a going rate for a really good prospect. So it, it makes sense for the for Atlanta to go running back, I think. I guess they might prefer Swift for the, the Georgia, Georgia, Georgia thing. That'd be tough. Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, so uh, yeah, those three guys go those three go in that general range. I think I projected Devin Duvernay, the receiver from Texas, to go to Denver at forty six, and I'm apparently way higher on Duvernay than most people. I can't really figure out why. It's one of those things where there's a consensus for some reason, but no one will answer the question of how they got there. And uh, I don't know. I mean, usually there's some sort of reason, and oftentimes these are kind of plugged in people who are just kind of repeating what they're hearing from within the league and the league's opinion matters a lot more than mine but with Devin DuVernay what we have here is a guy who breaks a lot of tackles is densely built and is one of the fastest receivers in the class who had one of the best seasons last year among the receivers in the class so he in the slot for Denver specifically would make a lot of sense I think because they had Deshaun Hamilton terrible tanking the offense Uh, he was playing a lot of snaps last year for a guy who did nothing at all and he's he's not fast. He's not big. Uh, Devin DuVernay is much more densely built than Hamilton, and he's so much faster. Very dangerous with the football. I think adding that kind of speed in the middle of the field would help neutralize the safeties. Or sorry, uh, uh, they would slow uh, the 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 washing of the safeties toward Cortland Sutton's direction a little bit. Like if you put Devin DuVernay and Cortland Sutton on the same side of the field in a three receiver set, it's it's one of those things like the safety's probably going to lean towards Sutton, but if he do, if he does, and if you put DeVerney on a fly route, they might not do it again. And that could just open things up that much more for Sutton. And, and I really think DuVerney will be good for his own part. Like, I don't think he's going to be a decoy. I think he's going to be a really good receiver. So if I was Denver, I'd be interested. Yeah, I think Denver definitely needs to add a receiver. I think they've had, you know, I, I think the Hamilton uh, experiment isn't really going to work out. Um, no. over time tim patrick no more than like should be no more than like wide your wide receiver four yeah. or five that type of thing and you know with years this year's class in the depth uh therein at, at receiver um i think that they would be very wise to to address that position um and i think um the way that you you position duvernay there like like you said uh would make a lot of sense but i think they can go in a couple different directions so we'll, yeah. we'll see what ends up happening there they'll, they'll certainly have options um let's move on then uh, i know that you had cole commit there going uh pick 49 to pittsburgh i think pittsburgh yeah they de- they definitely need to uh get their tight end situation uh figured out a little bit more they've been struggling uh in that just despite trying trying a, a litany of guys over, over the last couple of years here um but i mean i don't know 
I don't know how deep of a dive you want to get into Komet here before we mo- keep moving on. Oh, he's he's a Kyle Rudolph kind of prospect. Yeah, you know? I I like him. I think he has a good game, but um, yeah, like no, nothing to get crazy about. And I, I don't know how big of a like a fantasy producer he'll be uh, year one. So now we have a couple of big receivers going uh, towards the later part of the second round, guys that I'm really high on. Uh, so I'm interested to see uh, or hear your takes on them and and this the way that you fit them in into your mock. Let's talk about T Higgins going to Baltimore at 55 and Michael Pittman at 58 to Minnesota. So I am really unsure of what to make of T Higgins at this point because the production and the film are pretty stellar. The workout from his pro day is kind of concerning, but I also can't even tell if the reporting is reliable. Right. Because when it was initially reported that he ran his 40, they were saying he was timed at a 4.43. And then the official time for some reason is being listed as 4.59. And on the one hand, it's like I, it's, the 4.43 might be what more teams believed he ran for for all I know. But I don't know. And I, if, if, if anybody believes that he ran a 4.59 – then it's all of a sudden kind of hard to to really fall in love with him in a receiver class as strong as this. Like if it was weaker receiver class, then I'd probably say like, eh, you know, that 35th pick, something like that. But when you have these other guys who don't have an athleticism question and, and also have really strong production, it's tough for me to lean toward Higgins on on just the basis of faith and, you know, reputation. But I mean, uh, you all that a four, five, eight. Yeah, he also was at the combine and he was also quite a bit more densely built and I, he was he was like running through a sports hernia or something like that. Okay. Uh, he had to get something surgically repaired. I can't remember what it was. But um, and the other thing is, it, like in that case, it's like Chanel really fits, I think, the San Francisco offense, whereas I don't know if T Higgins would. But right. he would if, if, he, if he's any good, he'll definitely fit what Baltimore needs, which is basically like a good Miles Boykin. Yeah, what uh, Miles Boykin is supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Uh, I think you can be skeptical of Higgins and also think that he would work well in Baltimore because uh, we've seen the way he can kind of bully downfield and we know he's not going to be double teamed or anything with Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown on the field. So uh, we don't need this other this third receiver in the Baltimore offense to even be especially good. This should be kind of a layup for any decent re- uh, receiver prospect. And uh, even if you're skeptical of Higgins, I think you can you can consider him a, a sufficient candidate for that yeah i, w- I would really uh as a as a ravens guy uh that would be an excellent pick i'd be very interested in that but uh we'll see what happens but I, I'm, a, I'm a higgins believer um you know i, I do think uh, he has everything that you need. I, I, I love the the tools in terms of like the the size, uh, the the hands, uh, the the years of production. I, I love Clemson receivers just in general. That they, they seem to uh, tend to work out pretty well at the next level. Uh, Baltimore pretty terrible at, at picking receivers in general, but uh, it looks like Hollywood Brown's going to work out, and and uh, I imagine that they will address the position uh, before day two is over. Uh, and if it ends up being Higgins in round two, then I think that would be a strong pick for them. Uh, moving on to Minnesota. Obviously, they have a very uh, thin uh, receiving core now that they have jettisoned uh, Stefan Diggs. And and, uh, in this mock, you did not have them addressing receiver in the first round. uh, But you you figure that uh, before round two is over, they they need to go ahead and do that. And Michael Pittman, uh, certainly a a completely different receiver uh, than Stefan Diggs, but a huge target uh, with pretty nice athleticism to boot. Yeah, Pittman is the kind of receiver that Minnesota could really use. And as much as you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to de- demote or push aside a player like Diggs just for the sake of 
you know, adding balance to an offense. It is more balanced to have the the bigger receiver opposite Adam Thielen than a second receiver who's like Adam Thielen. Like Diggs and, and Thielen are both kind of really good route runners who get open a lot, but they're they're not going to bully anyone for the ball. They're not an obvious red zone target. And Pittman or uh, Higgins are the kind of receiver that would give that sort of balanced look to, to the base formation for the Vikings. And, and they're really good on their own part, obviously, too. It's not just like, uh, you know, desperately looking for a type of receiver that leads us here. It's that Pittman shouldn't really go further than this in the draft order. I think you you could make a case for him in the late first round. You could make a case for him for the Eagles at the 21st pick. So I kind of felt anxious even having him fall this far. And I actually have him ranked ahead of T. Higgins in the dynasty rankings. So uh, I don't know how I reconcile that exactly. But I just I just uh, assume Higgins' brand is a little stronger for some reason. I could be wrong, though, because uh, Higgins had a bad or at least like ambiguous pro day. And Pittman had a really solid combine. Like He posted... Uh, very similar numbers to what Kenny Galladay did. And then you look at his production at USC, it's really good. So I just don't really see any grounds for doubting him at this point. And uh, if he goes earlier than 58, it would not surprise me. Nice. I've been happy to to see uh, your like the progression of your thought process on Pittman from, dating back to January up to now. So uh, I'm glad that I'm not crazy for having believed in him. Uh, oh, no, not at all. <laughs> all right. So stamp it. Uh Pittman going on day two um, we got one more guy to get to before we, we get into a little bit of the the free agent odds and ends uh, before we round things out here so Green Bay uh, you have to imagine you know it was a repeated problem it's been a repeated problem for them that outside of Devontae Adams it's been brutal as far as what Aaron Rodgers has to throw to up in Green Bay so you figure that uh, addressing receiver I mean, they, they keep doing it. It just doesn't seem to work out. Um, but you figure uh, maybe the, they'll keep giving it a try here and go after uh, a receiver here in round two. Yeah, so I gave Green Bay at the uh, the 62nd pick, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. And Ayuk's kind of in a similar territory to me as Denzel Mims, where some guys I look at and I just know what I think and I don't know what I think about Ayuk. I, I see cases for, for concern or for optimism and he was a good player at Arizona state. He, 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 uh, you know, his production w- was, was similarly good relative to the team's baseline as what and Keel Harry's was. Uh, so it's not like he's obviously worse of a player at a glance. Uh, he's, he's more athletic. Like he's not the same kind or He's, he's not as big as Harry. He's more fast and quick than him. Uh, so it's not the same kind of player. Um, but yeah, for whatever it's worth, I'm not marginalizing Ayuk because of Harry. It's, I'm not doing the thing where like this guy was bad, so now I'm concerned they all are. I just didn't see anything on tape as far as like obvious standout route running ability. I feel like if you turn on tape of Brandon Ayuk and then watch tape of Jerry Judy and Brian Edwards, you'll immediately think like, oh yeah, Ayuk isn't as good of a route runner as those two. Like Those two have a way of just an innate spatial intelligence that allows them to just twist the person in front of them around with, without, uh, without even like running faster than them, without being bigger than them, whatever. It's like, they just kind of have a way of, you know, using head fakes, body language, the way they lean when they're running certain ways, the way, the where they probably keep their eyes as they're running, things like that. It, it all fits in and it, it amounts to these really small details about like, you know, Brian Edwards is going against Alabama, but he keeps getting open underneath. And then you watch Ayuk and it's like he's so much faster than a guy like Edwards or Tyler Johnson or something like that. But he doesn't seem to 
just get open as much. Um, but Ayuk is fast, and it's like you get a guy like him in an offense, and uh, you know it's like a busted coverage happens. He's going to be a problem. Like if, if your zones aren't disciplined and Ayuk's running against you, he can be a problem for you. It's more against the man coverage that I'm not as sold. But uh, Daniel Jeremiah has been pushing uh, Ayuk as like a top 40 kind of pick, like a frequently projected first rounder. So someone like him, someone like Jeremiah is plugged in. Whatever I think about Ayuk does not matter as much as what someone like Jeremiah thinks. So if he's projecting him that high, I have to assume he's going to go pretty high. And so I largely projected Ayuk here just because – I felt like it would be irresponsible to project him to fall out of the second round just because I don't really like him that much. Um, but yeah, I haven't projected to go to Green Bay here. And uh, the Devin Funches signing wouldn't change the calculus very much. I think they signed Funches largely to do some of the things that they had in mind for Austin Hooper, who they were linked to in free agency. And uh, Devin Funches played tight end at Michigan and he. he uh, Hooper plays a lot in the slot as a receiver. So uh, I think Funches could do some of that stuff. Therefore, they still have a need outside. Like, I don't think Funches is is just all they were looking for outside. And Ayuk would make sense if uh, if Green Bay is inclined. Yeah, lo- looking back at my notes on, on Ayuk, um, you know, w- watched a few of his games uh, a month or so ago. Uh, you know. I obviously knew who he was during the season, obviously because he was a huge uh, like college fantasy producer. But uh, you know, noticed that he lined up, you know, in a variety of spots. It felt like he could run uh, most of the routes in, in the route tree. Um, just good like spatial awareness, like you said, and th- that also bears out um, in his punt return production as well. I mean, he was a guy that uh, averaged 16 yards on his punt returns and, and yeah. even had a punt punt uh, run back for a touchdown. So I mean, he, he's got that ability once he has the ball in his hands to, to make stuff happen. um, I'll say, uh, sorry if I can interrupt, sorry. I I would say like Ayuk is someone I would feel more confident in if he was in uh, the San Francisco offense because like you said, once he has the ball, it's not hard to imagine what he can do and and that offense is really good at kind of like manufacturing that sort of touches. I'm worried about him if he is in an offense where you're expected to beat press man coverage consistently. Okay, that's definitely a a fair critique of his because he's not not the biggest guy in the world um, and you know probably wasn't even asked to do that all that often um, at Arizona State. So um, did you have any thoughts to explain expound upon when it came to that fun to that funches signing for for green bay uh i i like it i think it's a low risk thing uh, the wide receiver market in free agency was pretty cold and yet uh, funches is a guy who was a top prospect like five years ago uh he was always more toolsy than skilled and so uh he, he was still productive at a young age at michigan is the thing and when that happens uh, there are some exceptions to this rule, but generally when that happens, I think that's the kind of player who will eventually be good or at least have good fantasy seasons, even if they are annoying in their trajectory the whole way. Uh, Dante Moncrief is one exception to this. Like he was really good as a freshman at Mississippi, very toolsy, started out reasonably well in the NFL, but just like never got better. Funches could be the exact same thing, but until the final nail is in the coffin, uh, I, I think he still has a chance to be pretty good. And I think, you know, if, if it doesn't cost much to find out, then it makes sense to take that plunge. And, and again, if Green Bay was truly in on Hooper, as it was initially reported, then that means they imagined Hooper playing a lot of slot snaps. And so if you want a big guy doing slot snaps like that with like tight end sort of background, Funches does make sense for that. Hey, and I mean, if you're talking about teams chasing big names, I mean, the Falcons have what, like, don't, aren't all 11 of their starting uh, offensive personnel former first rounders? 
Oh, geez, I don't know. <laughs> I think that I think that actually might be the case. So, uh, you know, I, uh, being facetious there for a second. Oh but, yeah, no, uh, yeah, Hayden Hurst is there. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, to, to the larger point, like when a guy does carry that first round tag and Funches is young um, relative to his experience uh, in the NFL, you know, maybe maybe. Green Bay will be the place where, where it gets unlocked. What we'll see, and again, for if you're Green Bay, it's not like you're you're uh, piling on like a huge amount of, of assets to to uh, have him on the roster there. So it's low risk. They're yeah. not committed to him, and if he's bad, it won't matter. Yep. Um, let's move on to um, we, obviously we talked about Brashad Perriman to the Jets earlier. Uh, his move, you know, kind of replaces the Robbie Anderson role at least in, in theory uh, for the Jets. And Robbie Anderson goes to Carolina, and um, you know, I tweeted right when I saw this that I can't think of a, a more oil and water type of fit when it comes to what Anderson brings to the table versus Bridgewater. I like both players, but I don't see their skills meshing very well. Yeah, I think with Carolina and their choice to sign Anderson, it was kind of just like they looked at it as uh, it, it might be similar to thinking of when you're in an auction draft for fantasy sports and you've got f- whatever $40 left and you only have one spot left on your roster and the guy who's up on the board, he, he's only worth like 11 but why do you care? You have $40 left and you can't take it with you. Um, so it's like, I think it's, it's not quite that because I think, I, I think Anderson is totally worth that contract. I think it was just, it was easy to justify spending that money when it was just auction money. They were going to take, you know, into the reserve round or whatever and never put it to use otherwise. So uh, Curtis Sam is a free agent. If he walks after this year or if they, if someone gives them an offer, that's compelling. It's like now they can trade Curtis Samuel or let him walk and they don't have to answer the question about, well, who's going to be the fast receiver next year then, uh, or rather the downfield receiver. DJ Moore is fast. He just doesn't have a natural downfield skill set, whereas Samuel and Anderson both do. Uh, but beyond that, I think it's a totally good signing because um, – like, like, hey, it was just an unreasonably cold market for Anderson. Like, I feel like there's other free agent classes where he would have gotten like 13 or 14 million over four years or uh, per year over four years. And here in this particular market, he was only to get able to get 20 million over two years, uh, 10 million per year. So uh, if you can get a guy below where you can reasonably imagine him costing in another context. It makes sense to lock in that kind of like interest rate, you know, when it's, when it's lower like that. And, uh, otherwise beyond that though, having Anderson on the field, even if he's not getting targets, let alone catches. And even if he's not having his downfield abilities maximized by the quarterback, the safeties still have to respect him and the, the threat that he poses. And in a three receiver base, if you have, and in my opinion, what they should do is have DJ Moore in the slot rather than Curtis Samuel. Last year, they had Samuel play in the slot more than DJ Moore. I thought that was backwards. I would want Samuel and Anderson outside and the speed that they have being the main focus of the safeties so that DJ Moore always is on single coverage against a nickel uh, defensive back. And in that case, their offense could just kind of have a nice uh, – a credible threat basically from in, in all parts of the field, which makes it hard for a defense to key on any one particular part. So yeah, if, if his only utility is making the safety on his half of the field, you know, backpedal a few more seconds and create that much more space for DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey, then it'll be useful. Okay. And you know, I think there is also the Matt rule uh, connection. 
as. Yeah, and I wonder what that I, – I, I know that people – and I imagine Anderson's price was as low as it was, by the way, because of people doubting his character because he's he, – he, there was a thing with that cop. Like, <laughs> people are like, oh, he's a bad guy. He was mouthing off to a cop and you know he's, he's a bad guy. He got kicked out of Temple because he had bad grades. Well, the coach who was with him when he got kicked off the team – apparently didn't want him to go yeah. so what is what does that tell you about you know what is what his character is if, if the guy who knows him as well as anybody says like oh i'll take him then yeah exactly so i think that that there there's something there um and also um we'll see what joe i mean joe brady made joe burrow into the greatest co- college quarterback for a season ever so uh, maybe joe brady can elevate this offense overall greater than the sum of its parts uh so we'll have to see uh how that all works out but i'm i'm interested uh, at the very least I, I selfishly like I, I just i wish that anderson would have or more simply just gone somewhere where i know that the quarterback throws it downfield but uh you know crazier things have happened here um let's move on over to uh emmanuel sanders going to the saints yeah i like emmanuel sanders enough and He's definitely good at some things, but I don't know if I'm as high on the signing as most people are because I, I'm worried that uh, unlike the Anderson case with Carolina, I think that Sanders could be a guy who's not in a position to uh, have his skills maximized by the quarterback in question and the structure of the, the, the offense generally. But he won't offer the decoy value that Anderson will. Like it's not even like a decoy thing with Anderson. It's like he is a credible downfield threat. If the safety ignores him, the worst quarterback in the league can chuck the ball that way and probably get it there. Okay, it's like single coverage when the corner is trailing behind him. Any quarterback can make that throw. Generally speaking, it's harder to make the throws when when the coverage is ambiguous and when you have to like anticipate the guy getting open. You have to throw the guy getting. If you have to throw the guy open. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little more complicated. And I think with the saints, uh, you've got an offense where, where the quarterback largely has the same limitations as Bridgewater. Like, I don't, I don't think it's just the structure of the saints offense that leads to low depth of target for Drew Brees. And so if, even though Sanders is good at certain stuff, I'm worried that he's a bit redundant there because Michael Thomas is never going to be a downfield receiver. Their, their main deep threat right now is Jared cook. And that's generally bad, I think, because if the safeties creep up on that offense and, you know, not that they're going to stop Michael Thomas, that's not a concern. But the whole thing is, if the Sanders signing is supposed to be useful, it's it's going to be useful because they added a dimension that wasn't there before, a, a threat that didn't exist previously. And I don't know if they did that, because even though Sanders can get open underneath, it doesn't matter because Thomas is going to be open before him. Yep. And I don't I just don't see the obvious way Sanders uh, adds something truly new. I thought they especially if they're going to take Ted Ginn off the field, then you're going to want to assume the safeties are going to creep up in response. And if they do, you should have a plan for, for a way to make them hurt for it. And I, I don't know what I mean, it is particularly at his current age. It's not like Emmanuel Sanders is going to take a slant, you know, split the safeties, go the distance. So I don't see the way they're going to get big plays and maybe they just move the chains endlessly, but you have Kamara running in that part of the field too. So I don't know. It's, it seems like a bit of a redundancy concern in my opinion, even though I think Sanders is a good player generally. Interesting. Yeah. That they're really, uh, you know, you look at that depth chart and there really isn't like that, that downfield threat. And, you know, uh, I think you, you put it really well when you said that their tight end is, is 
currently uh, the best uh, deep threat on that roster and it doesn't look like they have a second round pick right now so um, if they don't go after a speedy receiver in the first which you know don't necessarily rule out but you know we'll, we'll see what happens there um you know they go into this year with uh receive a passing game that like is almost capped at like 15 yards down the field right and it could work like maybe maybe they just you know get get a bunch of little cuts into the defense bleed them out that way but i feel like they're inviting a very congested field for themselves and it doesn't really matter how good your players are if they're not able to utilize the whole field it's just, it's just kind of like playing with you know it's fighting with one hand behind your back exactly um and then any other uh free agent signings that caught your eye over the course of this last week not really uh i know eric ebron signed with the steelers some people are excited about that i guess he could make sense as like a, t- a 12th round pick kind of thing it looks like vance mcdonald's on the way out i don't think ebron's very good though and uh you know, I, I projected them to take Cole Komet, so I, I obviously am not that excited by it. Sure, exactly. Um, and then before we wrap things up, uh, what is something that you've done on quarantine uh, that you like? You, you you're in the middle of doing, and you're like, "Wow, I've really just been inside for a very long time." Oh, let me think. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I've started downloading that uh call of duty Warzone that's free i don't even know what it is it looks like they made call of duty look like Fortnite now oh, no. and i i am too old for Fortnite, so i don't yeah, you can't don't, even do I, the dance man yeah i don't know what any of that is i don't want to know but i was like well i don't know i guess it's it's free all the cool kids are doing it uh, I, I guess I'll give it a try. I haven't played Call of Duty since they had like Black Ops 2 or something like that. I can't play these new really fast shooters. Like every every shooting game now looks to me the way Unreal Tournament looked 20 years ago, which is to say like too fast for me to understand. And, and it's like there's all these there's all these people now who are just insane supercomputer humans at just playing Call of Duty and things like that. And it, it just ruins the game for me. But I, I like my slow old person shooters of the days of yore where there we go where i could you know walk around at a, at a nice pace and take in the scenery a little yeah i think yeah i think black ops 2 um definitely got in the way of some grades at least one of my semesters in college but, <laughs> but um yeah I, I love that game but yeah i th- i think if you threw me in on the new cod on the new consoles uh i would be you know fresh meat for everybody i don't i don't have a console right now um kind of on purpose and i'm regretting it right now because uh i'm pretty bored and uh to that to that end i literally found myself last week at one point i performed uh maintenance on my vacuum oh congratulations dude i know right so and and you have a vacuum i I do have a vacuum i mean i have carpet in my apartment so kind of necessary but i um, do too i still don't have one (laughs) well if you ever need you know a, a contactless uh vacuum uh trade uh just let me know I can lend you my PlayStation 4 when I need to vacuum next. <laughs> I love this trade-off. This is great. Okay. All right. We got that set up then. All right. So, uh, Mario, great stuff. As always, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, that's going to wrap things up for this week's RotoWire NFL podcast. Check back next week. We'll be back on. So have a good week, everybody.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.